0: get this random thing that comes out, and it's been beaten to death, so we're not going to talk about it very much, where David Sampson, who was, I think, president of baseball operations or was working down at the Miami Marlins organization, gets told by Jerry Reinstorf, according to him, because he says it on a Dan Levitard show, Jerry Reinsdorf tells him that basically stay in second place. You, that way, you always have a carrot for the fans, and it's best to be in second place. If you could do anything, always finish second and here's the thing immediately the mainstream media comes to Jerry's defense and immediately Twitter goes do. crazy and it becomes this war again where you have the non-mainstream media saying this is it this is exactly what we've always been saying and the mainstream media going you don't know Jerry Jerry's the nicest guy in the world Jerry always wants to win here's here's my quick take on this and I'd love to hear what you have to say Got it. and then I want to move uh, on from yes, this stupid please. this stupid issue because here's the thing I don't care if he said it or not If you believe that Jerry Reinstorf is cheap and that this is how he feels, you felt it well before you heard this quote. All this quote did was back up what you thought about Jerry Reinstorf, okay? Plus the fact that it happened sometime around the turn of the century. So it's about a 20-year-old quote. And back before that, we hadn't won a World Series. Back before that, I think between 1991 and 2014, we had nine second-place finishes. So Jerry Reinsdorf might have just been... I mean, during that period of time, remember, he did that at the time a super rich contract for Albert Bell just a few years before he has this conversation so if he has that philosophy you almost have to question like did he think that signing Albert Bell for all that money was just going to get him second place like you, you almost have to sit there and say like that that kind of contradicts what happens do I think he said it oh I totally think he said it I think rich people anybody that's like like famous heck I've done it when I felt really pompous early on in my radio career okay I'm standing around going you know what you do you trick the listener by doing such and such. Ha 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 ha. You know, you had a couple of drinks in you, you're talking crap right, to another right, person. Right, exactly. Uh, you don't even really believe it, you're just making jokes. Rich people are making jokes with other rich people about the peons. That's what he did. <laughs> and, and that's what he did. So baseball higher-ups are sitting around with other baseball higher-ups. He's probably got a cigar in his mouth. He's having a drink. He probably had a really good fiscal year. He's talking to the Marlins. Remember, who came into existence in 1997. So anybody saying these comments are 30 years old they're wrong, because the Marlins had just started, and he's sitting there trying to explain to him, like, hey, 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 don't always win. You're like He's just screwing around. I Do right. I think he said it? Yes, I think he said it. Do I think he believes it? He might have had a little bit of belief in it. Do I think now, 20 years later, instead of being 63, being 83, having a taste of a championship, seeing what it's like, do I think Jerry Reinsdorf wants to finish in second place every year? I
1: don't. No, I don't think so. Either. Do I
0: think that he is cheap sometimes, and he pulls back his purse strings, and he makes stupid decisions about how long he'll give contracts to pitchers, and what you know, and and where he wants to spend his money? And does he surround himself with yes men from time to time? Not that they're all yes men, but some of them are. Yes, I think he does well, that. Do I think he's? Do I think he's a great? I don't think he's a great owner. I'm sick of hearing because he got six championships with the Bulls. That makes him a great owner. That makes him a great basketball owner. That doesn't make him a great baseball owner. Okay, but. I don't think he's the worst owner in baseball. I could point to several other organizations that make him a bad owner as well. I think he's a middle-of-the-road owner who's has staying power and overall has made money for his team. Like I said, he probably said it or he said something similar to it. And it could have been a joke, but no matter what it was, I don't think it has any bearing on what's going on right now. And I was one of the people that was very upset about it when it first came out because I was like, of course, this is aggravating to me. I think it's ridiculous that the mainstream media comes to his defense. You all look stupid, okay? I know the food up there is great, and I'm sure the perks are awesome when you get to hang out st- behind the scenes with the White Sox. But is it really worth selling your soul? Back off a little bit and be a little bit more
1: objective. It's probably he definitely does not believe that type of thing now. And and here's here's the, the way that I see the Reins- Here's the way that I see it. Reinsdorf is a guy who, when it comes to the White Sox would rather run a charity than a business. When you work for the White Sox, you basically work for the White Sox for the rest of your life. And he is surrounded by a whole bunch of people who are going to tell him exactly what he wants to hear so they can keep their jobs. Uh, You know, here's a guy who his team, dude, the, the White Sox make money. All right. Uh, however, oh, investors it, are make, very happy. However, they do it; they make money. So, I mean, at this point, I believe that he wants to win. I do not believe that he has, at this point of his life, the the guts to fire all of the incompetence and yes men around him and actually bring people in who know how to turn this team into a winning team. It's easier for him at this point in his life to say, look, these are my people. These are my family. I want to take care of everybody around me. I don't want to have to drain the swamp and completely clean house just, you know, so I can have a a winning team. That's too much effort. You know, I mean, and, and if he can say, look, If I can spend, if I can make money now and only have a 60 million or an 80 million dollar payroll, why would I wanna beef it up to a hundred and eighty million dollar payroll to get a a winning team in here? Why why would I want to go through all that effort? Do do I think he's intentionally trying not to win? Absolutely not. But I think that at this point in his life, he's just not, he doesn't have the energy. To do what is necessary to turn the White to, Sox and turn the White Sox into a perennial contender, like the Yankees, like the Cardinals, like the Dodgers, like the Red Sox. You know what I mean? He just doesn't no, have that the, intimate. The, this the point.
0: structure of this team right now is an older gentleman who has made made money. People find him to be very successful. There are people that are detractors. He surrounded himself with a lot of people that he trusts. And he's not in the business all of a sudden of starting over with a bunch of new faces. He's not going to do that. That's not what he wants to do. That's not how he wants to live his life. So we have to, we have to look at the team through the parameter of those lenses. That's, that's, that's what the team is. Now, I always was told, and I'm not going to be like David Sampson, who, let's be honest, anybody that goes on the radio like that guy and talks crap like that, you're you're a jerk. Yeah, no. You're, you're I mean, an absolute you're an absolute jag. Yeah. Even if you believe that Jerry Reinsdorf said it, the guy's a jag for going on the radio and saying that kind of thing. something that the guy said 20 years ago that really can't be confirmed. He's a jag for it. Okay. No, he's, I, try, I can, he's trying I, to get ratings. I can understand. I can understand that that Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't want to talk to the media about it. Although I think at some point he's going to have to say something. He's going to have to say something more than a press release. But if he doesn't, I wouldn't be surprised. But but here's the thing, I have. I have known people with inside information at at times in my life of the White Sox. But back in the day, it was relayed to me that he has all these other people part of the investor group, and they want their money at the end of the year. They don't care if the team wins or loses. Correct. See, that's the thing. It's not just him. He's got other guys in the room there that we never talk about who have done an amazing job of making sure you can't find out who they all are. You can't find them. You can look at the press guide on the website. You can try to Wikipedia the thing. You can try to go back. It's it's impossible to figure out who actually has partial ownership of these teams. And some of these guys are responsible for it because he goes to them and says, I want to do A, a B, and C. And they're like, yeah, but I want to make money this year. So he has to come up with some sort of a budget where he says, okay, my investor, all of those people have to get paid. And then this is what we have yet to work with. I'm not making excuses for him. But he's not the singular guy inside of the room with ultimate power that people think he is because he does answer to all the other people. That's why they call him the chairman of the board. Because there's a board. The
1: last public, the last the last time the we had a public figure who was a part owner of the White Sox. The last part owner or investor, or whatever you want to call him of the White Sox that we White Sox fans know about was Eddie Einhorn. Okay, back in the 80s. Look. Do
0: I think that he's cheaped out at times? Yes. Did I like the white flag trade? No, I did not. Am I mad at him for 1994? You bet your ass I'm mad at him for 1994. And I don't care how many World Series I get, you took one away. I see 2005 as making up for 1994 because we were going to win it that year. And all these national people that always talk about how the Expos got ripped off, screw you, we were the better team. (laughs) We were going to run through everybody, including Pedro Martinez, because he wasn't getting anything by Frank Thomas that year. Okay, So I don't want to hear anything about that. I'm going to tell you something right now. This... This owner has done things where he deservedly gets anger from White Sox fans. Whenever people come out and say he's the greatest owner ever and we should all get down and kiss his ass, you just sound stupid. He has done some dumb or bad or just things that were, like, not respectful of the fan base that was coming and spending the money. Now, has he done good things? He has done good things. He has done a wonderful job of becoming everybody's, uh, like, Uh, his grandfather, he's everybody's grandfather. grandfather. He's the reason that Paul Kanerko came back after 2005, instead of going to free agency. Right. It was because of Jerry Reinstorf. He's the reason we're going to get Jose Abreu on the cheap. He's, he's the reason for a couple of good things that have happened as well. Okay. He realized that his stadium sucked. That was a stupid move. He made a terrible decision with his stadium. He had Jacobs field sitting there. He had Camden yard sitting there. He had all these other stadiums sitting there and he's like, give me that. Give me that mini mall. But then at least he realized <laughs> No, at, like, least he realized at least he, he, he realized fixed like, he, fixed later. Up, right? yeah, least, he fixed I, at least it. He fixed it So he does dumb things. Look, I think look. the White Sox should allow people to bring up when he does dumb things, just as much as the people who just absolutely hate him should be like, eh, he did okay there. Like and, and, like I said, he probably said it. But I don't think it has any bearing. I don't think they had a meeting right after the offseason and he goes, boys, good job. Second place is within no, reach. No. I want
1: second I don't think place so. next year.
0: And then I want second place for the next six years. Do it, and they all like, and they all like rub their hands together maniacally. It was like, meh, second place. <laughs> I, I, I just don't see it, Dave. No, I don't care. Even it. my initial anger it. over the whole thing. And look, I get it. Th- th- this organization isn't run the way we want it to be run. There are things we don't like about this organization, but I don't think they're sitting there going, "Here comes second place." Chris Zwick. Currently writes for Yahoo Sports, but he has also been at CBS Sports, Fan Graphs. He's a Baseball Writers Association member. I, I always say it wrong. It's a BW, BBWAA, right, Chris? There it is. There That's it is, it. yeah. It's much easier than trying to get the entire thing. And according to his Twitter feed, he owns all 806 Pokemon, which is a little weird, but we're going we're <laughs> to move past that a little bit. But I, I, I'm having him on socks in the basement because... I think it's great to be able to talk to somebody that's got more of a national perspective, especially at the end of the season, going into
2: the off season. How are you, Chris? I'm doing well. I'm enjoying some playoff baseball currently, and uh, I I can't say that I'm totally gearing up for the off yet. But I know that'll start soon enough, and I'll I'll start to really dig into uh, everything that's that's going to happen, everything we can expect pretty soon.
0: Yeah. Well, I, the thing is here on the South side, this is, this is all we have. We just have the off season now and we want the off season to get there as quickly as humanly possible before the white Sox do something else. That's going to get their fan base all up in arms. I'm sure you heard about this craziness with this David Sampson interview on the Dan Levitard show. It's kind of blown up here. Jerry Reinstorf, Possibly said two decades ago to him, it's better to finish uh, second instead of finishing first. You don't know what the context was. He says that he never said the thing. This is a big deal amongst the White Sox fan base. Is it anything that's resonating nationally or no?
2: Uh, I feel like nationally, no. I, I think, you know, Samson has, has made a lot of comments since he uh, left the Miami job. And I think it's tough to to know whether we should take those seriously or I guess how much how much stock we should put into them because I think some of it is obviously just getting his name out there and and getting publicity uh, for himself. At the same time, is it unimaginable that, you know, maybe something similar to that was said? I I, I guess I wouldn't put it past Reinsdorf and and the Sox. And um, I think that, you know, that's mostly just looking at what they've done the last couple off seasons or, I mean, even extending back, you know, 15, 20 years, um, always kind of staying in the race around that time, but but never really going in to make the all-in move until maybe around, you know, 2005. So I, I can see, I guess, where that would pick up steam and people would start to believe it, whether or not it actually happened.
0: Now, you've seen what the White Sox have done over the last couple of years. We're in the middle of a rebuild that we hoped would be fast-forwarded in the off-season last year with Manny Machado. It didn't happen. But now you see some young guys that are coming along. You see the possibility they could go out, add a few pieces. You've got some young guys coming up. You got Lewis Roberts. You got Nick Madrigal. You had an, a spectacular turnaround with Joanne who just showing what he could be. Tim Anderson wins the batting crown. Aloy Jimenez over the second half of the season was spectacular. If you would have done that for the whole year, you, you'd be talking about Rookie of the Year. What is your feeling about where they're at in the rebuild right now and where you see them going in this off season, going into 2020?
2: Sure. So I, I think 2019 was obviously a, a major step forward for them. Um, you know, I, I, with Moncada, I think there was still some hope that he would deliver on his prospect status. I, I don't know that people expected him to – to suddenly be this good. So that to me was less surprising than both Anderson and Lucas Giolito turning things around. I think those were two guys I had kind of written off coming into the year. I think with Anderson, um, I just never expected his approach to click after the last few seasons. Um, you know, clearly he made much better contact this year and um, was able to maybe cut down on some of the strikeout rate. And, and that was enough for, for a guy like him. Uh, with Giuito, I mean, after last year, I, you know, I, I was one of the unfortunate ones to have drafted him on my fantasy team in 2018. So I, I watched a lot of clunkers from him. And it was hard to envision him turning things around and living up to the elite prospect status, especially after we had seen a few years of struggles and the age. Um, so those two w- were really surprising to me. And I think, you know, you, you mentioned Jimenez um, some of the other prospects on the way up, they're certainly in a better spot. I think my concern would be what they do in the off season and moving forward, because like you mentioned with Machado, they, they fell short for him. Um, they never really seem to be all that seriously in the Bryce Harper sweepstakes. And I, I guess I have some concern over them going after premier free agent talent, Someone tweeted this a few years ago, and and I can't remember who it was, so I'm not going to be able to give credit, but uh, the White Sox are one of maybe three or four teams who have never handed out a $100 million deal. And that, to me, is kind of inexcusable, considering the the market they play in. Um, And it also is is what makes me say um, I'm skeptical about them going in on a guy like Garrett Cole or... You know, Anthony Rendon, which I, I don't know that necessarily third base is is a major need, but it, that's a, the type of thing where I have to see it before I believe it. So I think my, I can acknowledge 2019 was, was, a, was a nice step forward and fans should be optimistic about that, uh, while also saying, I think they really need to show some strides in the offseason that they're going to finally go for it.
0: One of the things that they've been trying to say, and Rick Hahn said after the season was over, is that he needed to go get more pitching He needed to address the designated hitter spot, and he needed to address right field. Now, immediately, everybody starts going, oh, well, J.D. Martinez, which we're not buying here on this show because Martinez, Rendon, and Nick Castellanos are three free agents that are all Scott Boris clients. And it's very difficult to find any time that the White Sox were ever able to win out on anything that Scott Boris was offering up. So we've kind of discounted that. But when we look at other guys that are out there, maybe there's a name here I could throw out to you and and you can tell me a little bit more from your perspective as somebody who's able to follow the national players a little bit better than we're able to. Some of the names that are kind of getting bandied about as possibilities, uh, Corey Dickerson as an outfielder is, is somebody that has been kind of mentioned in a couple different ways coming out of people that are covering the White Sox. Marcelo Zuna would also be a very interesting one as well, I would think.
2: Yeah, so I, I guess, you know, I can start with Dickerson. Um, he He's had kind of an interesting, uh, I guess maybe you can call it a career resurgence the last few years. Um, you know, he was a guy who in 2018 really cut down the strikeout rate. Um, I, I, you know, I think that was related to approach. I, he adopted a, a weird uh, two-strike approach where he started choking up way on the bat to prevent strikeouts. And uh, it worked for him. It fueled a higher average um, he saw some of that. He he kind of he kind of traded off a little bit of that last year um, to kind of give himself maybe a best of both worlds, where um, you know the slugging percentage was definitely higher, um, but he also struck out a little more than he did in 2018. I, I guess my concern with him is, you know, he he wasn't a full time guy this past season, and so uh, I, I worry about him being able to to go 150 plus games a season. Um, although I do think, you know, if he's used as a platoon guy or a fourth outfielder, he's, he's certainly an asset. Uh, Ozuna to me, I, I, you know, I don't have a great grasp on, I guess, what to, what to make of him. Um, there were concerns about the shoulder. He seems to have quieted those and he's put together a nice season, but I I don't know. He, he's a guy where I guess I've been a little skeptical of his track record. He had that one really big year with the Marlins And, and I guess that kind of carried over into 2018, but the average uh, was not there in 2019. And I guess I just, I I, I'm concerned a little bit about the shoulder moving forward. So I I don't know that necessarily those are terrible guys to go after, especially if, like you said, they're not going to pursue pursue those other names, but they're somewhat underwhelming to me compared to those guys. And
0: What do you think about a player by the name of Josh Donaldson? Remember, he signed a one-year deal so late that he was in the spring training. He's got Dan Lozano as his agent. He signed a one-year, $23 million deal, and he's in his mid-30s, but he brings in just under six war this year, and he had an OPS of 917 and and nearly 40 home runs. That seems like be the kind of guy since the Sox have such a problem signing Boris clients that I, I think to myself, um, maybe. Maybe they, can, maybe they can work with Lozano and they can go out and get a guy like Donaldson. That could be their big splash, but do you think that he can repeat that year? Is he really now, after the injuries that he went through, do you think that those are real numbers that people can expect if they go and sign him to a two, three, four year deal?
2: Well, I guess uh, let me ask you this first: If in in your mind, if if they were to sign him, would he primarily be a DH? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah,
0: that's where I'd put him. I want I like Johan Moncada over third base.
2: Yeah, and and assuming that Madrigal is up, I I would guess at the end of April probably when when they can get the extra year of service time. So so yeah, I mean, looking at his numbers, I think you didn't see a lot that suggests a major decline from the last few seasons he's been a guy with a fantastic batting eye. The walk rate is there. He he posts an elite walk rate every year. Um, We didn't really see strikeouts take a big dip in the wrong direction this year. He, in fact, was a little better than he was in 2018. So, I mean, those are, those are really easy things to look at. Those are also kind of the first things I look at when I'm evaluating, especially an older player. I want to make sure that there's no skills decline um, and I don't see it here. I think if you want to look at some of the, the pitch value numbers, which I will often do for aging guys, um, he had no problems with fastballs last season. He, he was, in fact, just as good as he's, he was against the pitch in 2017. So that at least signals to me that you're not seeing any bat speed slowing down. Um, now, given his age, of course, you know, the White Sox could sign him that could change in March. He, he could just not have it anymore, but I don't think there's necessarily any reason to be concerned about him moving forward. Um, and I would think, given the age and given the contract that he probably expects, you know, the White Sox could certainly make a play that's that's maybe two years with an option, or um, if they had to go three years on him, I, I think they could probably offer what he's looking for.
0: And then switching to the pitching side real quick before I let you go, Chris, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, I, I look at the White Sox this way. I look at the fact that you're going to probably bring out for better or for worse, depending on whether or not they're 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 the right guys for the job or not. Uh, Giolito and Cease and Lopez are all starters, and then you're going to have Kopech probably get held down a little bit, and you're going to have until he's completely ready, and you're going to have Rodon showing up late in the year, and those two guys are on pitch counts, so you're definitely going to need a full time starter. Is there a guy sitting out there that realistically looking at what the White Sox do? And we all want a guy like Garrett Cole, but I don't think anybody believes right. the Sox are going to do it. Is there a guy realistically out there that fits the way the White Sox spend money that would be the kind of guy you'd sit there and say, OK, I see that. That's a good fit.
2: Huh, well, I mean, I, I know people have thrown out Jake Oterizzi, um, who, you know, I'm a little skeptical on on his turnaround. Um, you know, I, I think a guy that that might appeal to me is maybe Dallas Keuchel, and and maybe this is just me looking at the narrative of him joining the Braves this season and kind of being the guy who is supposed to eat innings and be the veteran on a young staff. Um, obviously, they were successful, so that sticks out to me. But but yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right, Cole. You kind of have to consider being out of the question, and then you have to kind of ask yourself. Uh, you know, what is Madison Bumgarner going to bring? Is is he a, a guy that appeals, it, you know, it, is Zach Wheeler going to draw too much interest to, to kind of move himself out of their price range? I mean, he's a tough guy to peg right now because you can see a team falling in love with him and offering a lot. Um, you can also see him get stuck in no man's land, which I think, you know, we've seen these last few off seasons where he's kind of sitting there just waiting for a deal to, to materialize. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, they, I think they should be in on everyone. I think, like you said, Cole's unrealistic, and they should really try and make a play at at any of those names. And you could probably throw Cole Hamels and Hyunjin Ryu in there if, if those guys uh, happen to be available as well. So I, I think they, they really do need someone who can eat innings and, and take – some of that pressure off the the young guys in the rotation, especially. And, and you know, they can sign one guy who's maybe a, a pretty decent name, uh, and I even think they should be in on another veteran who performance-wise is maybe more of a five, but who you can depend on to eat 180 to 200 innings if you have to.
0: Chris Zwick, check him out on Yahoo Sports. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thanks. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening. If you're in the podcast and you like beer, craft beer reviews, craft brewery tours, fatherhood, drunken singing, outrageousness, late 1990s morning radio trapped 20 years later at a nine-foot homemade oak bar, the original Broadcast Basement podcast is still available everywhere podcasts can be found and always at BroadcastBasement.com. And it is Still 30 Minutes of Good in a World of Dumb with a new on-demand episode every Thursday. Maybe listen to it after this show, which continues now. I want to tell you real quick, Dave, that on the 19th of October... The Dixie Highway Brewery Trail. We did that whole bus where we had a bunch of listeners on it. Right. Uh, the Dixie Highway Brewery Trail is coming to one location. They are doing Oktoberfest at the Blue Island Beer Company out at 133rd and Old Western Avenue. Head out there from 1 to 6 p.m. It's 40 bucks to get in with seven breweries and you get food. Oh, cool. The $40 gets you a food ticket and drinking. And if you get $50, you get an extra hour. So I think it's actually two to six If you're going to just do the 40 hours, 50, 50, it's basically 10 bucks an hour. You want the VIP thing, you get in there an hour early and there's extra VIP stuff that you get the broadcast basement, which is the parent podcast to this show, which is the original show that was part of this podcasting network is going to be out there broadcasting live, which means I'll be out there with those guys during that so it's going to be a lot of fun if you get a chance to go to blueislandbeerco.com blue island beer company's website and get your tickets in advance while they last they are limited but for all the beer fests that are out there that's a good deal and uh we'll have a good time and i'll have some stuff to give away i got some leftover white Sox pint glasses that i'll give away to anybody that walks up and says they listen to the socks in the basement show until they're gone so just i'm just throwing those in Okay, and we'll have other stuff that we'll be able to give away as well. So if you're able to make it out October 19th, go to BlueIslandBeerCo.com. Ricky Renteria talked about Reynaldo Lopez with Benetti. Okay. And gave the impression to me that he has told Reynaldo Lopez, you've been up here long enough, and if you're going to be a part of this team, you, you better be consistent next year or you well, won't be. And he also talked about this pie chart. Let me just tell you about the pie chart and okay. you can just jump right in. <laughs> okay. You remember when he talked about the Rembrandt with us about yes. making... Yeah, his, he's doing an okay. art history So now class. he talks about his pie chart and he's like, your life is in the center of your pie chart. And then you have these other pieces of the pie that sprout out from him. And one of those pieces of the pie is baseball. Another one might be a girlfriend. Another one might be a personal problem. Another one might be... He goes through all these different things that they might be. And then you have baseball. And then he jumps in the Reynaldo Lopez as the example and talks about how... When you go in between the lines, all you got to be thinking about is that one piece of the pie, which is playing baseball for the Chicago White Sox. In my mind, implying that Reynaldo Lopez was not. And that his manager has told him, if you don't knock that off and focus just on baseball when you're at the ballpark, you're not going to make it. That's how I read that. I think the manager, for all the times, sometimes we think the manager could be wishy-washy. The manager said, I'm done with these hitting coaches. I can't get, I wish I could get rid of the pitching coach. I'm done with these hitting coaches. I need somebody in here that's gonna teach somebody something. And and I'm and and what I'm going to do is I'm I'm starting to send messages to players.
1: Do you remember the very last Ronaldo Lopez start where he completely, you know, he completely fell on his face. He only lasted maybe like a couple of innings. Yeah. Renteria went out there and visibly. Let Ronaldo Lopez had it, have it, yeah. And he actually, like, to a point to where he actually said something. You never hear about this. Like, you never hear about like what do managers say to pitchers on the mound. You never hear about it after the fact in the in the press. But you actually heard about it this time. Like Renteria flat out said it to the press. He's like, yeah, I went out there and I told him this, 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 and that. And you better, you know, would you, would you like to play baseball today? I think was I'm paraphrasing the quote, but yeah. So I definitely, I definitely, I didn't see this interview with Benetti. So I'm just going off of what you're telling me. But when I read that, what you're saying now makes even more sense. He look, I look at Ricky Renteria
0: as a man who is very aware that a section of the fan base thinks that he doesn't know what he's doing, that he's going to fall on his face in 2020, and that even if it isn't his fault, he'll be the scapegoat next year, who is now going to sit there and say, well, if I'm going to be out next year, I'm going out on my own terms. And is going to sit there and say, I need a new hitting coach. This kid here doesn't have his head in the game, and you keep trying to tell me he's going to be a starter, and I'm calling him out now. Yeah, I think he's becoming... More of a vocal, ma- and I'm excited about. It. See, that's, but that's because that's what I want from Ricky Renteria. I want him to do what he's doing. I think, you know, I'm gonna tell you something. I don't think he's a bad manager, except for when he bunts and some of his situational decisions. But when it comes to dealing with people, I think he knows what he's doing. And in the in the short conversations I've had with him face to face, I think he knows what he's
1: doing. Socks in the basement. Socks.